Welcome to From Betrayal to Breakthrough. I'm Dr. Debbie Silber, and today's guest is Mindy Gorman Pletzer. And Mindy brings 23 years of nutritional counseling experience to her New York City based private practice as a certified functional nutrition and lifestyle practitioner, a board certified integrative health coach, and certified eating psychology coach. She introduces a unique functional approach to simple and complex health issues relating to or resulting from disordered and addictive eating behaviors. Mindy has combined her extensive life experience with her training to create a system of strategies that are a combination of functional nutrition, practical coaching techniques, results-oriented psychology, body-centered practices, and mind-body science. She's the author of the Freedom Promise, Seven Steps to Stop Fearing What Food Will Do to You and Start Embracing What It Can Do for You. And she's been on all kinds of media, TV, radio, podcasts, you name it. Uh, And I just really can't wait for you to meet Mindy. We're going to be talking about what betrayal in the form of an eating disorder looks like. Why do we do it? Where does it stem from? And how can we stop? If you're struggling with disordered eating or a more extreme eating disorder, you're going to get so much out of this episode. Here we go. So today I have Mindy Gorman-Plutzer with us, and I am just so excited to speak with her because, you know, so often we talk about betrayal as it relates to someone else, but, you know, there's self-betrayal. And when we betray ourselves, that's that's a, there's a lot. There's a lot going on there. There's a lot of information and a lot to unpack. And uh, I just thought Mindy would be a wonderful, wonderful person to bring on and, and really help us with this. So hi, Mindy. We're so glad you're here. Hi, Debbie. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> you know what? Why don't we just start with your area of expertise and how that relates to self-betrayal? Absolutely. I work with women and men who come to me expressing that they have a disordered relationship with food. They want to change their bodies clearly. And we take a deep dive and we start looking at who they are as eaters. And what we discover is that how we do one thing is how we do everything. And so wanting to change our weight, manage our bodies often shows up in the guise of an eating disorder and, and frankly, other addictive behaviors because it starts out as a solution to a problem that is believed to be intolerable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And can you give us an example of, because when you say eating disorder or disordered eating, yes. give us a few examples. Okay. So we have the, the person who is the chronic restrictor the person who fears what food will do to her or him. Um, and I'm going, to, I'm going to use the pronoun her because it it's, seems to be, in my experience, more prevalent in women, although eating disorders are becoming more and more commonplace with men. But, but let's use her just mm-hmm. to make our conversation a little simpler. Mm-hmm. Um, so she is wanting to change her body, thinking that she needs to eat less and perhaps exercise more. And it becomes an obsession. 
um, she is surrounded and bombarded, surrounded by and bombarded with what I call high fat diets. You know, um, eat this, don't eat that. Such and so, such a program worked for my friend or my coworker. My sister lost 23 pounds eating this way, but it's not working for her. So it's really important to take that deep dive and look into what's really going on. What is she hungry for? Mm -hmm. Then you have the woman who comes home from work after a day of eating what she deems to be fairly well, and she has something that sets her off, whether it be a reminder of a conversation during the day or coming home to a stressful situation, and she's looking to self-soothe. And for her, what's most familiar is checking out with food, whether it be a bag of chips, a pint of ice cream, and in some cases, even a bottle of wine. You know, I, I, I put that all into the same category because we, it's self-soothing. It's, it's checking out in an effort to self-soothe. Mm-hmm. Um, then you have the person who might be engaging in that binging behavior but then chooses to purge, feels the need to get rid of the food that they took in, feeling the, the descriptions I hear, I feel dirty, I need to get rid of it. You know, and I always look metaphorically, what is it that you're looking to get rid of? And that person might engage in laxative abuse, might vomit, um, or start to compulsively exercise. So where's the betrayal in this? How do you how would you explain the betrayal in the disordered eating? The betrayal, Debbie, is about how we disavow ourselves from our universally given right to thrive, to be and feel nurtured and nourished. We lose sight of the connection to that deepest self of self when we deny our hunger and the recognition of enough. And, you know, I remember when we spoke and, and it, it really, it stopped me in my tracks when you said it was really about how we're, we're almost trying, like, let's say someone who just refuses to eat. They're mm-hmm. trying to, can you explain that, what they're trying to do? To- yeah, very often they, they want to become invisible. They, they, they're looking to make their bodies go away. And um, basically, it's a betrayal of one's soul. It's when we totally disconnect from, from embracing our deepest sense of self, that we contract and constrict, and then that translates into restricting our food intake and makes us very, very small. Mm. And some of the reasons, what would you say some of the reasons were for your, for your clients and patients, why, why they're choosing to, why they feel the need to make themselves invisible? Okay. Well, I'm going to say from personal and professional experience that eating disorders are not a choice. And I must, with my functional nutrition and lifestyle practitioner hat on, be, feel compelled to mention that we must honor, in other words, not betray the biology, the physiology that feeds, no pun intended, into the root cause of eating disorders, okay? 
So there is a huge genetic component. There's research that shows that 60 to 85% of eating disorders are rooted in genetics. That's number one. Secondly, we need to look at the dysbiosis, the dysregulation of the gut microbiome. Um, This could be a result of a dysregulation of hunger and satiety hormones that's biologically pre-programmed, or it could be a direct result of simply poor eating habits, perhaps binging and purging, um, and everything that comes with that. But there's also um, a a factor in that brain chemistry is dysregulated and blood sugar irregularities all contribute. Mm -hmm. So um, we need to look at the biology. Looking at the biology, not honoring the biology to speak to our purpose today is really betraying the opportunity for sustainable recovery. Right. Uh, you know what? I, I find it so interesting you're saying about a genetic component. Can you go into that a little bit? Uh, research has shown that very often when there is um, a history, a diagnosis of eating disorders, uh, there somewhere along the line has been a mother and a grandmother that struggled as well. Now, we can also say, you know, where is the nature and the nurture mm-hmm, in this, mm-hmm. right? That's because, what I'm yeah, exactly. You know, messages told, lessons taught. Um, and I'm a big believer in that. But if there is a, a biological genetic component that is affecting hunger hormones, brain chemistry regulation, then we need to look at the physiology and the biology. Um, and as I'm sure you know, there's a huge field today of um, epigenetics mm-hmm. where we know that nutrition and lifestyle can speak to these factors. And as Donna Jackson Nakazawa brilliantly says, our biology need not become our biography. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so true. And it, it's so interesting because we automatically, well, I shouldn't say we, I think just with the people that I've worked with throughout the years or people that I've known just in, in the, the weight loss field, we try, we just, we try to make sense. We try to make meaning out of it. And so often, I, I just never really thought to look at it from a genetic standpoint. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's so fascinating. It's usually, you know, you could see where it could be tied back to an emotional standpoint or something that happens, something either a profound experience or some unresolved issue. Uh, can you speak to some of the some of the, the let's say the emotional challenges where the maybe just an experience that that people have that would lead them to um, disordered eating? Yeah, you know, I just it, want to just make one clarification. Disordered eating basically comes from misinformation. You know, like the person I referred to before who has a friend or a coworker who started eating a certain way and she decides, well, she's going to eat that way too. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's becomes not so much what she's eating, but what her body is doing with what she's eating. So mm-hmm. that, and then that morphs into a fear and confusion about what food will do to her. Mm-hmm. And when I talk about disordered eating, that's really what I mean. And I'm sure in your experience, you've seen plenty of people who get to the point where they just don't know what to eat anymore and their beliefs and thoughts are leading them to urges 
with behavior with food that is basically dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. Okay. What, what I'm talking about with eating disorders is more medically, uh, has more of a medical foundation because the, the physical consequences and the psychological consequences are so deep-seated. Um, so what will happen if somebody is a, a victim of trauma? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, the body keeps the score, so to speak, mm-hmm. and trauma is something that's very often held in the body. We're wired not to feel pain, right? So we're going to do whatever we can to get away from it, to just metaphorically run, right? Fight or flight mm-hmm. or freeze. And for people whose <clears throat> messages have been that food will make it better, or if food has some sort of a a trigger from the, the, that limbic part of the brain as the go-to, food is going to be the component that is acted out with. Mm-hmm. So um, for somebody who has suffered trauma, uh, they are going to choose to check out of their bodies. And they might do so by binging. Mm-hmm. Um, they might do so by choosing foods that were forbidden when they were children, acting out that way. Uh, they might be soothing that inner child by choosing to eat like a child. Uh, you know, eating a diet that is high in sugar, um, almost juvenile in its leaning. So it, it can show up in a lot of ways. Story plays such a key role in, the, in this experience and especially our attachment to it. You know, and you, know, we, you and I have talked about betrayal being subjective. You know, we feel betrayal when the expectations that we're holding as a result of that attachment are not being met. Mm-hmm. So it seems like it starts off as a means of self-soothing. And then at some point it becomes self-destructive where the intention is to soothe. You know, well, even it's easy to see, you know, we're younger and let's say mom or dad gets us ice cream, we're older, we do the same thing. So I guess the intention is the soothing. And then at some point we're just taking that feeling that we're looking for, uh, taking it into our adult lives mm-hmm. and using food to do that. Right. It's, it's how it's, looking at the broader context, right? It's not the food that we're craving. It's the feeling that mm-hmm. the food represents that we're craving. So Mindy, if you could, can you t- talk about the attachment to our story? And I know you have a story as well. How does our story really affect our eating? Well, I, again, it's the, it's the message that we've had regarding what food meant, Okay. I'll, I'll speak to my experience if I can. Mm-hmm. The greater part of my adult life, my relationship to and behavior with food reflected my fear of what it would do to me. Now that came from messaging, you know, that came from growing up in a house where dieting was a pastime. And, and I, I must say that while not everyone who attempts to go on a diet and control their weight, manage their bodies will develop an eating disorder, 
every person struggling with an eating disorder started this downward spiral by attempting to mm-hmm. control their weight and manage their bodies. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's get that straightened out. But for me, I would bounce between extreme restricting, compulsive eating, and consistent purging. Um, my story was that I judged my self-worth and attractiveness, I say, by the size of my thighs, the size of my clothes. I was never satisfied with the number on the scale or the image in the mirror. It was never enough. And these behaviors and the beliefs about how small I desired my body to be stayed with me through the decades of my life during which I could have been experiencing such wondrous growth and self-empowerment. And empowerment is a big piece of this. I hope we get to speak to that. But for me, I hit bottom when my disordered beliefs and behaviors morphed into a full-blown eating disorder. Mm -hmm. And I had serious consequences. The consequences had a profound effect on my then teenage daughters, my marriage, my health, so much so that some of those health challenges remain with me today. Mm -hmm. So by betraying my needs, betraying my universally given right to be nurtured and nourished, I ended up betraying the needs of those who depended on me. And that's, it's, thank you for sharing that. And it's so interesting because here you are with, I'm sure the best of intentions, you wanted to be there for your family. What was, what was the, I I imagine there's such a call, there's such a, it's, it's, uh, a compulsion almost where you wanted to eat something or tell me about that battle. What's, what's the battle? What was the dialogue? Mm-hmm. Well, those of us who struggle with eating disorders really are a function of two selves. You know, it's a split off self. It's the healthy self and the eating disorder self. And we need to understand and accept lovingly that the eating disorder self might not ever go away. She need not be gotten rid of, but she needs to be managed. And when we can develop tools and strategies to manage that split off part of ourselves, sustainable recovery begins. And that's when we feel empowered. And there is no sustainable recovery without empowerment. And I absolutely want to get to the empowerment piece, but I also, I find it so interesting. I think so many of us just assume that eating disorders, we picture, let's say a teenage girl. Mm -hmm. And, and I know you see a lot of women in midlife where they're struggling. Yeah. The incidence of eating disorders in midlife is becoming more and more prominent. And think about it, right? So we experience a sense of betrayal in the guise of loss of a spouse. Mm -hmm. That happened to me. My husband of 28 years died and here we married so young. I thought for sure we'd be married for 60 some odd years. That to me was a huge sense of life betraying me. You know, then you have unresolved childhood or adult trauma you have addiction, there are caregiver and caretaker issues. And then of course, you know, the ultimate body betrayal with with our own health issues. And for people who feel that they can control their lives by controlling what they're eating, this is a big blow. And they feel out of control and they, they yearn to control more 
and they feel, well, I have nothing else to control in my life, so I might as well control my body. And what happens is it's, it's not such a well-thought-out thought process. It morphs, you know, and because truth be told, it's easier to think about how much you weigh and what you're going to eat than it is to think about the pain you're in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thinking's hard. We'd, we, you know, so often it's, it's so much easier just to not think, to numb, avoid, distract, assume someone else knows better than us because it, it is. It's that, that whole idea of really taking a good hard look and thinking and feeling. It, so often we just don't want to do it. Yeah, it's the feeling that's hard. Yeah. It's the feeling that's really, really hard. It's, it's owning that truth. It's, it's finding the strength to, to reframe. You know, very often when I work with people, one of the first things I ask them to do after, of course, I take a health history is to write an autobiography of their relationship with food and their bodies. And what this does is it gives us tremendous insight into those messages, into that story. So we can look at what's dysfunctional. We can look at the distorted messages and accept them when we find compassion for them. And then we can lovingly let them go. And that, again, leads to the empowerment. Mm. And let's talk about that because there's this negative spiral happening. How do, is it through empowerment that the negative spiral sort of at least stops and starts to reverse itself? What's the process? The first process is the desire. The desire has to be bigger than the fear. You know, very often it's the fear of who will I be? Who will I be when I let go of this behavior? Who will I be when I allow myself to feel what I fear will kill me? Who will I be when I lose this weight that's been my protection? Mm-hmm. You know? It's their identity. Sure, it's a story. Yeah. We wear it. It's not that it's good. It's just that it's so familiar. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, I always say it's not a comfort zone. It's a familiar zone. Mm. So I, I find that the, the best way for me to describe it is to step away from the story just enough to put some light in between our behavior and the attachment we have to the story. And in that light, we can find compassion, compassion for the message. We can find acceptance for it. This is it. We can learn to forgive. And then we can reframe when we're in that place of honoring, we can reframe and see what's no longer serving me well. And I think a big piece with this is, yes, it's forgiving others, but a big piece of this is forgiving ourselves. It, it has to start with that. We, we can't begin to forgive others until we look at ourselves, until we realize that what we need the most has been with us all along. I refer to it as a sense of sacred solitude, the place within us that we can always come home to. People talk about a higher power. I think it's more about a deeper self. Mm. Is there someone who comes to mind that you've worked with where you've seen they've, they've come in with an eating disorder and They've, they've gone through this process. They've looked at their story. They've forgiven themselves. And if someone else has done something and then something happened and then they're, and they, they freed themselves actually from it. Any, any story that comes to mind? Yes. Yes. In fact, I'm working with a, 
a young woman now who came to me very frustrated with her binge eating behaviors. She, you know, was doing everything she thought was right for herself, exercising, eating carefully during the day, but coming home in the evening and finding herself losing control, ordering food, picking up food on the way home, aware of what she was doing, but unable to stop. And we started to talk about what she was really hungry for. And of course, it it came up that she was feeling lonely living in the city. Her family is on another coast. Uh, She was having some challenges at work. And we initiated some tools. We, We talked about learning to pause. Um, in fact, I gave her a little timing, timer device where she would have to use this timer and watch the sand go through the, the glass <laughs> before she could act on her urges. Um, we did a lot of exercises regarding where the reward was in staying in the behavior. I give a lot of homework and a lot of accountability. Um, and slowly but surely, she started to see that she could be okay being alone in the evening, mm-hmm. that she had her best friend with her, that she, could, she didn't need to rely on anything outside of herself. And what's happened since is she just got an incredible new job. She's eliminating a commute that she was finding very stressful and very, very triggering. She's eating meals at night that she's proud of. She feels wonderful in her body. She's moving in an effort to honor her body instead of punishing it over something she ate. Mm. And she's really transformed the way she thinks about herself and her relationship with food, not so much by doing anything special, but by undoing, by letting go of what was keeping her stuck. By letting go of the fear of who she would be if she felt her feelings. And it sounds like she gained this wonderful sense of empowerment, which is what this is all about in the first place. No question. That's yeah. What, yeah. And, and that's what, what transformation does. It empowers us. And, you know, I always say change is about doing transformation is about being. Mm -hmm. And I believe that no matter what we're dealing with in our lives that is painful and, and feels like a betrayal, we can come home to ourselves. You know, Janine Roth talks about the welcome mat that's always there. You know, come home to yourselves, open the door to yourself because in there, there's, there's no room for fear. It's only love. You know, that's just such wonderful insight and great advice. Mindy, is there anything else you want to make sure everybody knows before we wrap up? And then I want to talk about your wonderful gift. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, basically I had cre- I've created a seven-step blueprint that is laid out in my book, The Freedom Promise, Seven Steps for Stop Fearing What Food Will Do to You and Start Embracing What It Can Do for You. And I've been told from people who have read this book that it really applies to anything in life that we're struggling with. Um, And the first step is about feeling the love, facing your feelings, and finding your enough, the F in freedom. And that starts with gratitude. And it starts with 
the desire to feel and going deep so that we find that place of enough that's always there. And it's, it starts with that and it ends with that. Powerful. That, that we can ultimately rewrite story as it relates to our relationship with our bodies, minds, and spirits. It's so true. And when you do, the, the things you never, ever thought you had access to are there because it's like you're walking around with this 50-pound bowling ball of just whatever's in front of you. You can't see. If you're, if you're holding on to this massive pain or story, you can't see what's in front of you. But when you put it down, you have access to it. So thank you for that. And, and can you talk a little bit about the, the this is an incredible gift you're giving everyone. Oh yes, well, thank it's, you. It, it's it's truly my pleasure because I so believe in 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 what I do. So I'd love to offer our listeners a ninety minute breakthrough session that will help them uncover that number one obstacle that's holding them back from showing up for themselves, and they'll leave the experience having learned what it will take to let go of the self sabotaging habits and start to support their bodies, minds, and spirits in a way that nurtures and nourishes and empower their healing. So they can email me, Mindy, at thefreedompromise.com with the subject line, End the Betrayal, Hmm. and I'll respond to schedule. Oh, wonderful. And everything's going to be in the show notes. So don't worry if you didn't catch that, it'll all be in there. Mindy, I want to thank you so much. I know you helped so many people today with your message. Oh, I hope so. Just, just last words, honor what you're hungry for. That's, that's the greatest gift we can give ourselves. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to question and, and clear the clutter by deciding that what you can let go of is what's no longer serving you. Great advice. Thank, Thank you, you so much. I want to thank Mindy so much for all of her wisdom and insight on a topic that's often filled with so much confusion and shame, but can often be healed through light and love. Here's my biggest takeaway. We can learn so much about ourselves by understanding our relationship with food. So often, it starts as a way to self-soothe and without careful monitoring can soon become self-destructive. It's important to untangle it in order to look at it clearly and see what needs to be healed. Mindy's been so generous in giving you an amazing gift of a 90-minute breakthrough session. Email Mindy at mindy at thefreedompromise.com with the subject line, End the Betrayal. I'll have all the details on how to schedule that with her in the show notes, which you can find at pbtinstitute.com forward slash podcast. And if you're struggling with the physical, mental, and emotional symptoms left in the wake of a betrayal, you may be struggling with post-betrayal syndrome. Take the quiz and see what needs your attention and healing. Just go to pbtinstitute.com forward slash quiz and let us support you. Go to Facebook and join our group, Women Hacking Betrayal, where we give information, tools, and support to help you move forward and heal once and for all. Can't wait to be with you next time. And here's to your breakthrough.